Hello, and welcome back to Break the Twitch. I am Anthony Angaro, and this is an interview-based podcast on owning your attention and building better habits. In each episode, I sit down with an amazing guest who shares their expertise and personal experiences in doing just that. In this episode, number 34, I'm joined by my friend Kristen Wong, a freelance writer and talented journalist. She's the author of Get Money, Live the Life You Want, Not Just the Life You Can Afford, and is a regular contributor to the New York Times, writing about why we do the things we do, which as you can imagine is wonderful for Break the Twitch. Since Kristen was six years old, she's been writing, to be understood, to tell a story, and sometimes just to figure out things on her own. Kristen shares in this episode how she started her first newspaper column in high school, eventually moving to LA to pursue a career in screenwriting, which led to a completely different outcome, but with opportunities she never imagined. We talk about the pros and cons of being well-prepared versus being willing to just try things out. We also get vulnerable about dealing with imposter syndrome and share a pretty hilarious moment about each of our perspectives about each other's polishedness. The episode gets deep into various rituals, whether it be the practice of daily writing, mowing the lawn, or even why meditation can be so darn difficult. This conversation was so much fun, and Kristen's journalism chops definitely came into play because she did a great job of asking me just about as many questions as I asked her. And finally, this month in the Break the Twitch member community, we are gathering together online for six scheduled focus group sessions, and we'll be working together for accountability on all of our individual projects and more. You can join us too. All you have to do is go to breakthetwitch.com community, and you can see all of the other great benefits that come along with being a member as well. We really hope to see you there, but for now, let's go ahead and start the show. Kristen. I'm good. I'm caffeinated. Caffeinated. That's that's good. We're here in Portland. It's rainy, so caffeine definitely uh, is helpful. Yes. It's a very nice, cozy Portland morning, Pacific Northwest morning. So I'm super excited to have you on the show here on the, uh, the podcast because there's a lot of overlap uh, at this point of the things that you're talking about and break the twitch and a lot of the kind of stuff that you're putting out there and the work you're doing. So, so thanks for... Uh, Thanks for taking the time here. Of course. Thanks for having me. I've been following your stuff for a long time, so of course I was going to do it. Well, I'm flattered. Thank you. (laughs) So you are a freelance writer. You are a published author. You do a lot of writing. Yes. How did that become a part of your life? Uh, It's always been a part of my life. I think like since I was little, I knew that I wanted to write in some way, whether I was making money at it or not um, as an adult. So from the time I was like six years old, I've been writing stories. It's just a way to either tell us. I've been writing as a way to either tell a story or communicate like parts of myself that I feel like I can't speak very well to. I always say like I I write well. I don't speak so good. You know? <laughs> That's great. But it's true. Like I, I feel so misunderstood a lot of times when I'm talking to someone. Like I, I can't get my point across, which is great. A great guest to have on your podcast, I guess. But like writing, I can I can totally connect with people and I can totally like be my true self and put myself out there. But with, with speaking, it's a little bit harder for me to do that, you know. So writing's kind of always been a place I go to to um, I don't know. I guess feel under feel understood. Yeah, it's funny you say that because for me it was the exact opposite. I mm-hmm. I started making videos because I just have never felt like I wrote good. Yes. <laughs> I remember you saying that in the session yesterday. Yeah. And I just couldn't, like, I couldn't give the energy and communication, like really feel like I was connecting with what I wanted to say mm-hmm. through writing. And and so it was like the opposite. So it's funny that that you chose this medium where you could kind of like craft it. Was there a, um, was it like through school and just all early years where you just found a, a gravity towards writing? Um, I don't, I, I remember being a kid and like writing short stories and just thinking that that was really fun. Um, and then as I, when I was in high school, I joined the newspaper and I had a personal column in the newspaper called Nothing Really Matters. Wow. <laughs> From the Bohemian Rhapsody song. Yeah. 
which is so cheesy, but actually um, was, I thought, a pretty good name for a column. And so I, it was kind of, I would just do a lot of like op-ed writing and persuasive essays in this column. And it it resonated with like people at my school that, you know, I was kind of an outcast in school. And suddenly I had like kids coming up to me saying, Kristen, I read your article. And I was like, oh my God, like we could never connect in real life, but somehow you read my writing. And that was like probably the first time I felt like I could write something and be understood in a different way that I couldn't in, you know, any other medium, like day-to-day interactions <laughs> with people. Right. Uh, so yeah, that was um, probably, maybe that was the beginning of like thinking that maybe writing could be something I wanted to do for a living or or not for a living, but to do more of that kind of writing, you know. It's cool to hear that story about the the high school op-ed or like the nothing really matters. It's like, that is a great, <laughs> that is a great column title. Um, it, and I think it's often overlooked that a lot of those, like it's a perfect time to be experimenting and be trying things and like writing for the school newsletter in high school, mm-hmm. in early parts of life before people are like, well, I'm not in the real world. So, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't, I'm going to figure out my life later and we're yeah. all figuring out our lives in different stages, you know, across the, across the board, but, uh, you know, likely throughout life, but, but still it's, it's cool to, to hear of that specific thing. Cause I encourage people in college or, uh, younger people to literally like explore, like start a company in college yeah. or like start writing for the newsletter, the newspaper, um, any of those opportunities just to try it, even if it's not something that maybe you're naturally drawn to, but kind of doing that. And, you know, it sounds like that was a great kind of launch pad for you realizing that that is a great way for you to create human connection. Yeah, totally. I, and I think that's a good point of like, you figure out what you like to do by trying things. Like I've, there have been so many things that I think oh, that's what I want to be or that's what I want to do. And then I try doing them. I'm like, oh, not so much. So my friend Stephanie O'Connell has a great quote. She wrote a post one time that was like, passion is not something. It's, I don't remember how she put it exactly, but it's the gist of it was like, passion isn't something that you're born with. It's something you discover. Like you discover mm-hmm. your passion by doing things, which I don't know, I think is sort of counter to what we've been taught about. Like, don't you think like we've kind of, the narrative is like, oh, you're born knowing what you want to do. And like, that's your passion. So do that. hundred percent. Well, I mean, early on, you see, I remember the posters in school being like, follow your passion. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. wait, follow my passion. What's the, like, what as is though passion? there is this thread directing me already that I need to follow. Right. I mean, I guess that could be interpreted as like, discover your passion or find it and then follow it when you find it. But I, I guess I didn't interpret it that way. I felt very much the same that that we're supposed to have this d- drive towards a particular thing. And that's been my experience as well is, is I found my passions or the things that I enjoy or tend to thrive in by really screwing up a lot of other things by and, failing and not doing lot. very well. I'm curious, do you, do you know like some specific examples or can you recall some specific things that you've tried and was just like, whoa, oh, not for you? Totally. Uh, I moved to Los Angeles to do screenwriting oh. and so, and I did it for a while and I had this fear of, I mean, I packed up everything from Texas and moved to LA and told everybody like, I'm going to try to write for television. And I had a little taste of it and I did not want to admit that I didn't enjoy it. Like, and it was a very, like I did something, a very small project, right? But I was in a writer's room and I was writing scripts and I was trying to get on stage at UCB and and do, and I did. Um, and and I, I quit because it wasn't like what I, I realized like, okay, if I'm successful at this, like say that I do start writing for a TV show and like, it's a hit and I'm doing this every day. I I didn't feel like I would enjoy it, mm. you know? And that was a really weird thing to realize. And I don't think I would have realized that unless I went to Los Angeles and tried to do that. And so it took years of forcing myself to continue on that path because I was like, I don't want people to think I'm a failure. I don't want to feel like a failure. Sunk cost. Like I spent all this time and energy and money moving to this new city to do this thing. Like I should just follow through with it and do it, even though like I don't enjoy this medium. And uh, eventually I I had this like come to Jesus moment where I I was like, okay, 
either I can keep going with this and have some success and like be considered a a success in everybody else's eyes, or I can do the thing that makes me happy on a day-to-day basis. And so like I chose, it took a long time, but I chose doing the thing that I actually enjoyed, you know? Sometimes it's a moment. Sometimes it happens over a culmination. I think it was just over a culmination, like a lot of journaling. Um, I would just like write every morning. And I, I do that. Like when I, again, like when I write for a lot of different reasons to be understood, to tell a story and sometimes just to figure things out on my own. So I would like write in my journal all the time, like these conflicted feelings. What I realized like through this journaling was I felt really not in control of my life. And so I think that was the moment, like when I wrote that down where I was like, I'm so tired of feeling like I have no say in my own life. That was kind of the moment where I was like, okay, I'm going to start doing more of what I want to do and whatever that is. I had just got gotten off writing uh, for this like celebrity gossip TV show and I did not really enjoy doing that. But I was also blogging on the side. Um, I was writing, I, I quit that job to like work for MSN. And so I was like making videos for MSN and blogging for MSN and really enjoying that. And then I was also blogging on the side uh, for J.D. Roth's blog, Get Rich Slowly. And so I was like writing these personal finance essays about money. And I'm like, that sounds like the most, like if I, to, if, if I went back home and told my friends like, oh, I'm writing for a TV show or I'm, I'm you know, writing blog posts about money. They, you know, like which one are they going to think is cooler? Right. You know, but I was enjoying the latter more. And so it was hard for me to let go of the quote unquote cool thing and do the thing that like I actually like really enjoyed writing those essays. It reminded me of being back in high school and writing for the newspaper again, you know. Um, so, but I chose it. I chose the thing that was more fun for me, but maybe doesn't sound cool to everybody else. (laughs) Was that hard to do? It it wasn't that hard to do because once I pinpointed the reason why I was feeling that way, which was, I felt like I had no power over, no like internal logos of control over my own life. That was really easy because it was like, oh, that's what I'm getting out of this. If I give up what other people think, um, and even what I think to an extent, like what I'm getting then is agency over, is that the right word? Like some kind of agency over my own career and um, control over my own life and my own happiness. And I get to like enjoy what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis. Yes, I'll take that. So it wasn't that hard. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Have you ever had a moment like that? Yes. I was leading an aspect of this company and, and I felt like I didn't have the ability to take my intuition, my, the work, what I knew would be the best for what we were doing mm-hmm. and actually deploy it in a reasonable way and felt like I didn't have that, like you're talking about the autonomy of yeah. work in my life in that way. And so that led to me leaving the job because a lot of the big changes that were coming up in the next year were ones I didn't agree with and all that I was just kind of going along with it. And, mm-hmm. and and it got to a point where I, I just was past due, I guess, at, at that point. And, and so I had to make that choice. And that's, I mean, that's kind of when I left to start Break the Twitch or continue Break the Twitch. At that time, it was just a vlog and the YouTube channel didn't exist yet. And it was still so young. It was not something that could be leapt to at that point. Okay. But that is what I've been doing ever since through uh, great sort of ebbs and flows of my marriage and partnership as, you know, Amy has done something and now we both work together on this and, and then I would do something. And so it's, it's been uh, an interesting ebb and flow, but definitely that moment was one of them where I realized, wait, how much influence am I actually creating in, in how many of my decisions are actually going into the world of, of this thing? And it didn't feel like it was nearly enough of them. And so I decided to regain some autonomy in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Around career, at least, that was one of the big ones. Yeah, it's it's hard because it is a risk. Like you took a risk and you don't know how it's going to end up. But as I don't know. It's a weird balance between like ex- external, like en- extrinsic rewards and intrinsic rewards. Like that was the battle for me. It was like, okay, um, whether it's money or recognition or whatever, like those things I don't want to diminish because I think are important sometimes because I was thinking about this yesterday. When you're doing something a little bit different than like a standard career, sometimes you have to kind of create your own path, right? And it's hard to know 
if you're on the right path because you're creating it yourself and you don't really have anybody who went before you to do it. And so sometimes having like somebody like making money at something or having somebody say like, wow, you do this. That's really cool. That tells you that you're on the right path, right? It's like a form of validation of like, okay, I can keep going with this. But of course the extreme of that is like you value that too much. And then you start keep doing something like me with the screenwriting that you didn't enjoy. You know, maybe and maybe at some point I'll enjoy, you know find a way that I enjoy screenwriting again. But I was like into it for the wrong reasons for those extrinsic motivators. But yeah, so I don't know. It's, I, for me, it was like learning to like value more what success meant to me versus other people. I guess. Yeah, it, it is funny how the validation that comes when you're, especially when you're kind of starting out and you're creating something or, or putting it out there, you're in a new job or in a new situation, mm-hmm. how validating it can feel to have that external feedback mm-hmm. from people that are like, oh, this was really cool or this was really helpful. But then there comes a certain point. So maybe it's an evolution. I mean, I'm sort of thinking through this as I talk, but yeah. maybe it's an evolution of how we handle the feedback. It starts like, oh, this is a good idea and people seem to be into what I'm doing here. And then you have to slowly transition from that because if you rely on the extrinsic for the whole ride up, trying to fill this thing of validation that you're seeking, right? you end up as the, the rock star with a 80,000 person stadium full of people cheering, still not feeling validated and mm, feeling like, empty. Yeah. And ODing or, you know what I mean? Like that <laughs> yeah. pattern, like, and, and, and so I think we have to kind of manage that. And that that uncertainty you mentioned is a really big thing. I mean, do do you have ideas around facing that uncertainty and and moving forward into it? Like, how have you done that in in your career? It's hard. I mean, in some ways it's very exciting um, because you never know what you're going to be into next. Like, I don't, you know, I was writing about money for a while and then I kind of pivoted to writing about um, like human behavior and uh, and travel and other things. And so I was like, oh, okay, this new thing is fun. And so sometimes like that, that's really fun thinking like, oh, I'm, and maybe at some point, yeah, I'd go back to doing screenwriting or comedy writing and that could be really fun. And so like that, that uncertainty is, I like that, like not anticipating what you could be into next. Maybe it's, you know, the next thing I do has nothing to do with writing. Um, but the thing that frustrates me about the uncertainty is just, like not not knowing what the next five years are going to look like. And I think, you know, we're both at this conference and Emily said something the other day that, what did she say? Like, or no, somebody in a session the other day said something like, you know, it's funny how you, how we make plans for our careers. And then like the universe, whatever it is, like whatever things come up, like just takes us down a completely different path. And that's exciting. And it's also frustrating because it's like, I just, I need to know where I'm going to be in five years so I can make plans right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So I can know what I should be working on. Because I can't tell you how many times I've started a project and been like, okay, this is the thing that I'm going to do now. And then I get a job offer. I get like some uh, incredible opportunity that comes my way that I'm like, oh, I didn't know that was an option or I would have been planning for that the whole time, you know? And then you have to lean into that and like pretend like you know what you're doing. And I felt that way when um, the Times approached me to write for them, where I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do in my career. I'm going to work on this book and then I'm going to have this blog and I'm going to do this and that. And then all of a sudden, you know, an editor from the New York Times comes up to me and says, oh, would you like to pitch us some ideas? And I'm like, what? I didn't know that was an option for me. Yes. Okay. Wait, Wait, I can do that? I can. That's a thing for me. I can do. And so... Then it sort of, I don't know, how do you juggle? Then do you stop doing all the other things that you were trying to do? Yeah. It's a it's a good problem to have, but... It is a good problem to have op- options and opportunities. But you raise a very good question. And I think that is one of the essential questions of, I have this plan. And a lot of the time, I think there's a school of thought around like, no, like hustle, like make your plan, build your dreams, hustle, grind. And like, even if you're just going uphill the whole way and it's you're just not getting there but like you know like this is the thing and there's a culture around doing it but then there's this whole other side of sort of the more maybe I consider it more of like a woo-woo like Mm -hmm. openness that I very much embrace the the idea of infinite possibilities yeah and this idea of being very open to those possibilities and seeing them when they come because you're not so narrow focused on this one outcome that you planned for. Right. And I think it just goes back to like, yeah, figuring out what you 
really want, what your values are. But I like what you said about being open to the possibilities. That is something that I need to work on and that I'm like constantly trying to work on. It's just like being open to the possibility of like being taken down a path that you could not have um, anticipated. And then the other part of that, going back to the uncertainty, is like, well, if I knew that that was the path I was, I would be going down, I would have been studying for that this whole time. Like, I would have been trying to become an expert at this. Now I have to pretend like I know what I'm doing and have, like, my editor explain to me what a nut graph is because I'm, like, not in that world at all. You know what I mean? And so that's where the imposter syndrome comes in a lot of times, I think. And that's why, like, when you read about imposter syndrome, people say it's a good thing. Like, imposter syndrome is a good thing because it's, like, you getting out of your comfort zone and doing something new. And, like, if you're the smartest person in the room, you probably need to find a different room. And I always feel like the dumbest person <laughs> in the room. And Which I, I guess that, is a good thing. I mean, yeah, it's I don't a good say it self-deprecate, but, um, but it, it, it's, yeah, it's a good and a bad thing. Knowing you, I will say that's saying something about the rooms you're in. That's that's, a, that's an impressive uh, factor. Well, for I those feel like rooms. you're just complimenting yourself. <laughs> well, no, oh wow, interesting. I didn't think about this being a room. So, turned, okay. yeah, this no, is a room. I, I definitely feel the same way uh, about you. So, so it's it's funny to to hear that. But that's the cool part is like when you you know you meet interesting people. Like I've met you, and like everybody sort of feels the same way. Where we all feel like. It's like that Parks and Rec episode where like April is like, nobody knows what they're doing and we're all just faking it till we figure it out. So you'll be fine. Imposter syndrome is a real, a real thing. Um, And I actually, I just had a conversation about this yesterday with a guy who is a filmmaker and he he went to college for film studies. Mm -hmm. So like very traditional, um, like breaking down classic film and the the traditional path of filmmaker. I shoot a ton of videos. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of client video work, but that came for me from buying a camera and shooting my first YouTube video and doing a bunch of YouTube videos and getting better. And then one day a friend was like, hey, do you mind like coming and shooting this thing? Like we can make a video for my, you know, my office space. So okay, like I just wow. have, you know I have like a DSLR, we can do that, and then literally over the course of you know four years of just that over and over and over again, like buy a camera, a new camera that then allowed me to do some more like longer form stuff, and and literally that's how I became a video like a producer and doing client work and videos, and we were both walking, and he was like, man, I feel like this dude's out there doing it and like making videos and and it makes me feel like an imposter in the film, you know, in, with my film training because I'm not actively shooting. I mostly just like write and theorize about film even though I want to be making stuff. Oh. And I look at him and I go, dude, you make me feel like an imposter because <laughs> you went to film school and you have all this traditional knowledge of of like film and how to how to like really craft something that I'm still very much learning. Okay, and, can and then I we co- were looking at each other like, huh. <laughs> so you kind of both went at it from different angles. Yes. Okay, I see. I didn't know that about you. And so I'm going to commandeer this interview and ask you some questions. <laughs> bring, bring it on. But okay, so you didn't ha- have, like you didn't go to school for this. No. I assumed that you went to school for this. That's amazingly flattering. Because I've seen your videos. Um, obviously, I've seen your YouTube videos, but I've seen like some, I feel like I've seen some client work you've done on your website. And then like I come here, there are all these cameras and equipment. I'm like, all right, this guy went to school for this. But you just learned this through doing, doing it and screwing it up over and over. And how long did that take? Years. I mean, it took years. So for a little context, <laughs> I mean, for a little context, we're at a conference for people that have multiple interests and passions. Mm-hmm. And so one thing that I've talked about on the podcast before is that I have a lot of interests and passions. And over the years, I've learned how to scope those in into things that uh, have an overarching theme that allow me to stay in a groove, but also explore and create within that groove. Video for me has been very much that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so over the course of my life of doing everything from log rolling to rowing in high school to just a huge gamut, juggling. I played like five different instruments, like piano. I, I sang in a barbershop quartet. Oh. I'm just giving examples of like different things I've been through. What I've learned is that I love the learning curve. Yeah, And so now in my basically in my very late 20s and 
into my 30s is when I started doing video stuff. And I've learned how to learn the first part of any kind of new skill very quickly. Mm. As many people as you also and like many other people here at this conference are able to do because that's the part of the, the experience that they really love. And so I think a lot of it came from that where I just dug in and I have always been more willing to just try stuff right off the bat without knowing anything about it and just go for it. Do you ever think that that backfires? Like, does that ever work against you? Oh, yeah. Oh, and in what way? Well, there's a strong balance with that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I would say that with years of planning and going to school for something, there's a breadth of experience that comes from that and different things you pull from that makes you go deeper and get better and better and better over a longer period of time. I see this as kind of two sides of a scale. One is a lot of preparation and expertise. The other side is a willingness to dive in and fail. Mm -hmm. And and so if you look at those two ends of the spectrum, it means that sometimes I would not be as well prepared as someone that had a lot of the buildup or a lot of the time a certain situation that I would run into on set would be literally the first time I had ever run into that situation before. Yeah. And I'd need to kind of figure out a solution. You're like Googling um, it. <laughs> yeah. And so either, uh, you know, I, I've never been a super book smart person, but I've always had a relative level of intuition, I think, that has served me well. And so that has done well for me just on set of being able to like, well, this light just blew up and I need to light this situation. Mm -hmm. And so coming up with something else that'll work that might not be a normal thing maybe because I don't even know that that's not a normal possibility has been good. Yeah. So it, it very much goes to both sides. I see people that have gone the traditional path that are making amazing stuff, like looking at Matt Diavella, right? Mm -hmm. Who it has went to film school, has been making videos, and every single video he does just gets better and better and better. And he's somehow producing content that seems like it should be a Netflix series, but he's putting it up on YouTube every week. Mm. And I see that and I get major imposter syndrome looking at that, even though, you know, I'm doing a lot of this stuff on YouTube too, but I see the things he does and I always have like, wow, that shot's amazing or like, man, that's incredible. So it's a mixed bag. Yeah, I know that feeling um, of just like the comparison is hard. Um, and there's always like that quote that's like, don't compare your middle. To, what is it? Don't compare your middle to someone else's. What is end or beginning? We can or call it like that. We can call it end, someone else's end. Yeah. But don't compare your beginning your to beginning. someone else's like middle or. Right. Yeah. And I think that's important, but difficult to remember in practice because you can't, that's human nature to like, this is what I want to do and they're doing it. Or maybe it's not even like what you want to do, but like sometimes I just look at other, what other people are doing. I'm like, what they're doing is so cool. Like I want a part of that. You know, I think one thing that helped me uh, take, I moved from Texas to moved to Los Angeles and do screenwriting. And I was also open to the possibilities that maybe I would do some other kind of writing. But like, I wanted to make money as a writer was really the bottom line. And the thing that helped, like, that's a bold thing to say. It's a bold thing to do. But the thing that helped me do it was like, I saw other writers that I thought were, this sounds really um, not very nice, but like, I would see writers that I thought were mediocre who were like really killing it. And I thought the only difference between what they're doing, because I'm you know, I was, I'm like mediocre. I could be, I could work my way up to mediocre, you know, like, <laughs> but they're actually doing something. And I'm just saying that I want to do this someday. And so like, that was a shift for me where I was like, okay, as you said, like, that's how you find your passion or that's how you get stuff done is like by do like actually doing it. Winning is finishing, right? Like you're not going to win at something. You're not going to know or learn or anything from something until you finish it. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of like the mantra that I live by. But I feel sometimes like it does backfire on me, which is why I asked you that question, because I feel so unprepared, underprepared for certain things. Um, and sometimes I feel like it works against me a little bit. Like I don't, do you ever feel completely unpolished? I feel so completely unpolished in everything I do. 100% of the time. That's interesting because I look at you and I think like you are so polished. I've looked at your stuff before. I'm like, that's, I wish I was more like that, you know? So it's interesting to hear that. I'm like crying over here, by the way. <laughs> so for those listening, <laughs> thank you. 
but I very much have the exact, this is weird for me because I have the exact same, like around your writing, like the work you do. That's so weird. To me, come like I have this view of you being so polished, so put together. Are we just being super vulnerable and honest with each other? Like, yeah. But I mean, I don't feel that way ever at all. I feel crazy. I feel like my, like the way that I come across online or whatever, you know, like my career just feels so scattered and so um, like messy. But you feel that way too. This so is that's the most good to honest, know. like maybe moment on this podcast ever. <laughs> because no, really, like this is real. And I think this is a, a, a thing we're ex- experiencing right now. Mm-hmm. And this moment is something that is real for so many people. Because I feel like I'm always trying to do my best putting out videos, but there's, I I never feel. Yeah. And I think people will hear that because I experienced this. People hear you say that and they think you're, they think you're full of it because they're like, oh, well, I see you as being so polished and so put together and everything like whatever you, somebody said one time, which was just a joke and it was funny and I thought it was funny, but they're like, Kristen's like that overachieving, annoying cousin that you have. (laughs) Um, because they, what they see is, I guess, not how I feel, but I mean, I do feel that way. So I actually don't tell people a lot of times that I feel like a mess because I feel like they think it's, um, phony. I mean, it's like, like, I don't really feel that way, but I absolutely do. All right. We're about to dive into Brene Brown here. So, so the wild thing about that is there's a certain amount of insecurity, I think, just with creating things or with being in a landscape of a million writers and a million YouTubers and and just a million other employees at different jobs. And it doesn't have to be some new media thing or, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's everywhere in life. There's just millions of people doing this stuff and it feels, we get into our heads and I feel like it's just being vulnerable about that is so hard. Like that feeling that you just said that you think people just blow it off and, and it's true. Probably people are like, oh, whatever. And so, the, I mean, it's a great lesson in just the fact that we're doing our best. I know you're doing your best. You work really hard at, at you know, you're a freelance writer and you are like hone your craft, right? And I see what you do. It's to me, it comes, it's like so polished. I'm looking at this. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy writing. Like it's. Hmm. That's good to know. Yeah. And so I feel the exact same way that I'm always trying to do my best. I'm always trying to make better videos, but I never feel like I'm they're as good as I would want them to be, or mm-hmm. I feel like I have it together. I think we're always going to feel like that. I don't think that ever is going to go away. Do you? Probably not. Because like at this point, I assume it's probably not going to go away. You're always going to want to be better. So then you're if you're always going to want to be better, then you're always going to feel like you're not good enough. Yeah. So get used to it. So just get used to it. Right? It's fine. We're unpolished and that's okay. Yeah. Nobody has to know. No one has to know. We just <laughs> even though know, we just we were just publicly talking about yeah. it here. Yeah. It, it's a great point. And this guy Chase Reeves uh at the ConvertKit conference actually in Boise mm-hmm. a couple years ago. I just he he said, if you can't feel it now, you won't feel it then. Hmm. And this was to a room full of bloggers, many who were new starting out and weren't making a full-time or, you know, a money at all from what they were doing, their craft. Uh, and, and it was to some people, you know, obviously that were in there in the midst of things. And then to some people who made a lot of money doing what they do. But the point just has stuck with me and I just, I've never forgotten it. And I think about it all the time because if you're waiting to feel like you're doing well, or if you're waiting to feel like, well, once I make a thousand dollars a month for my blog, or, or once I have a thousand subscribers on YouTube, like then I'll be happy. And every time I hit a milestone, I get there and I'm just kind of like, now what? Now what? And it doesn't really feel like much. I know. You know why? I think I went through a, an existential crisis with this after I wrote my book, um, where for like almost a year, even now still, I was like, why do I feel so empty? And then guilty about feeling empty because I'm like, I wrote a damn book. <laughs> And I'm like whining like a baby that like, why do I feel this way? But it's because I think we enjoy pursuing something more than maybe we enjoy reaching it. Absolutely. Because you're an ambitious person. And I think like ambitious people are like that. Like it's not even necessarily about the goalpost. It's about 
doing the work that it takes to get there, like waking up every morning and being excited to open your laptop and like work on a new thing and like not knowing what the possibilities are. And like we thrive on that uncertainty um, and failing. We, I think we even thrive on because it's like you learn lessons and like we like, the, I, that's why I like being self-employed because I like the ups and downs of freelancing. I do too. I complain about it a lot, but I like it. You know, getting to the finish line is great and it feels good, um, but it doesn't feel as good as like you would think. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. No, 100%. That's interesting. Thank you for sharing that about the the book process. And I want to dive into that too. Mm. I've had very similar experiences. Uh, Doing a TEDx talk. Mm -hmm. If you had told me three years before that, like Anthony, you're going to take break to Twitch and you're going to do a TEDx talk about it. I was like, wait, I just watched those. Those are things that I watch. Those are not (laughs) things that I do, right? It would have blown my mind. But I remember having the opportunity, doing it getting off stage and feeling just nothingness, just pure. I thought I'd be like, yeah, like I did it, did it. And it just felt like, oh, that happened. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. We need to learn as humans. I think this is probably throughout, right? I think it's easy. We can celebrate. We can get the promotion. We can do different things and celebrate. But I think a lot of the joy of life comes from the pursuit of, of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is a good thing. Um, I felt the exact same way when I saw my book on the shelf the morning that it came out. I went to Barnes & Noble and I hated to admit it. And I just pretended like, oh my God, this is, a you know, like I pretended to be, and I was really happy about it. I don't want to make, but I felt guilty for not, it felt like, oh, I thought this would feel different. And now I feel like I'm being ungrateful. So then I feel guilty for that. And that's like not a good place mentally to be. Like that's not gratitude. I think you're right. I think it's a good thing because it 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 just shows that you are more interested in the process and like being present in the moment. And it like that it actually changed everything for me because like now when I work, it's so much more enjoyable because I'm not I mean, I am trying to work toward a goal, right? But like I'm not so focused on the goal. I'm more focused on like the fun of pursuit whereas before it was just like grind. You know, it was like unpleasant wake up and just like work 24/7. Now it's like, oh, cool, I'm working towards something. And it doesn't really matter when I get there. That's okay. It might take me way longer than I anticipated. And that doesn't really matter as much anymore because I know that when I get to the end, the feeling is going to be okay. But it's really the process that's enjoyable. The process. Yeah. And this has been one of my major one of my major revelations around the time I've been doing Break to Twitch as well. And one of the biggest ones, it's like, 99%, no, 99.99% of life is process. Mm-hmm. Like, why not attempt to enjoy it? Yeah. Because you've got that 0.01% that is the finish line, right? Every race, so much of like all of that race is the process. The finish line is a split second. Yeah. And so if we wait until we hit that finish line to enjoy our lives... And if we put off the the fulfillment or the the enjoyment of the process, even though the processes are tough, I mean, it's not saying it's, oh, it's no, got to be yeah. all lucky, go you know, happy all the time. But if we put off our lives, all just holding it off for that one moment of crossing the tape, right, of breaking the tape and, and crossing the finish line, that means like 0.01% of our life is going to be the, the good part and the rest is just going to be a grind. Yes. And that's not... Um, a good place to be. I am not a wise person, but I Why read... would you ever say something like that? <laughs> <laughs> but I read a lot of, um, you know, I read a lot of pe- pe- people who have interesting things to say. And one thing that I, I don't remember where reading this or if it's just something that I kind of have lived and under- come to come to understand, but like, I really think the key to it all is like always having something to, like to move toward, like always having a goal and like having that. And that makes you feel good, right? Um, That makes you, gives you a reason to wake up every morning. It just feels great to have that. But also then being grateful for what you have more than you're focused on that. Because if you're grateful for what, and that sounds like such a, I, I, that sounds so hokey to say, just like, oh, be grateful for what you have. But I mean, it's sort of true. Yes. Like that puts you in a totally different mindset when you're like, oh, these are the, I'm aware of what I have in life and I'm happy about this, this, and that. Do I want some things to be better? Sure. In the meantime, I'm going to be happy about this, this, and that while I work to make things better. 
Yeah. That's been really um, helpful for me. It's so funny talking about that because it feels such a, it feels like what I'm saying right now, what you're saying is such a contrast to a lot of the principles of minimalism of like own less, uh, want less, seek less, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, the, those principles that I do believe in, but they are held in a lot of ways of like, like be content with what you have, like find gratitude for what you have. But in contrast, pursuit of improving your life situation and the, the your ability to help others and like seeking that next thing for you also is a joyful thing. And I think it can really add a lot of something into life. But those ideas can sort of be together, but also, totally, yeah. right? So it's like a balance between those two things. Well, I think also it, because... This is getting really um, spiritual, but like when you have something that you're working on in the future, that is affecting you in the present. Like, so the future sort of marries the present in that way where you're like, you know, I, you know, have a goal that I want to move to a bigger house, right? Like that's a simple, that's like not minimalistic. <laughs> <It's> not a <laughs> no, good minimalism example. We don't play that game. Like <laughs> I want to move into a, in a more minimalist house, like a nicer um I don't know, but whatever your goal is, like thinking about it every day and like having that to look forward to, you're almost like living it in a way, right? Yeah, I think those things can exist at the same time. Going back to your kind of process with the book and that book coming out, it's been a little while now since it came out. And where would you say, how is that sitting now with you? Has that changed or are you still feeling like, uh... Yeah, I mean, I think I'm still kind of getting over to the other side where I'm like, I understand that everything that we're talking about, everything we've said, I understand it. I get it. But still part of me is like, um, but I want to know, like, where am I going to be five years? Like, what is that going to look like? And I need a clear idea of that. I need to be certain about that. Just because that's what my brain craves, you know? But I think I'm getting better about being, as you said, open to the possibilities of what could come and just enjoying the process. Like, everybody keeps asking me, oh, what's your next book about? When are you going to write your next book? And it's so funny because I find myself answering. I'm like, oh, I'm still recovering from the last one. And then I'm like, that's a really interesting word to use recovering, you know, but it does sort of feel like a bit of a recovery. So there's all this pressure to, like, write another book or do this next thing. Um, what Are you going to start a business? Like, what's your, you know, big project going to be? And as an ambitious person, I am looking for what that big project is going to be. Um, but as somebody who's, you know, interested in my own mental health, I'm also okay with, like, not being in a rush to find it and just enjoying the moment and, like, it's a year, well, it's a little over a year now out of like writing this book. Like, let me take some time to reflect on that. Like giving myself the space to just um, figure out what the end of that, you know, what that looks like and what the beginning of something else might look like, if that makes any sense. I can't remember who it was, but someone was talking about why the freshman album for a lot of rappers or like musicians who do a lot of their own writing is always so good Mm -hmm. and then sometimes the second album or the third album if if they reach some success with that first one and then there's immediate demand from the record labels to all right we need a second album while you're hot so let's go you have like all of this life leading up to that first book context and experience or in this case the album and the example i'm using Mm -hmm. Uh, you have all of these stories and examples and and thoughts and context to put into that first album. So much emotion and story of your whole life leading up to that first album. Mm-hmm. And then a company then asks you, like, it does well. And you're like, still figuring that out, right? Mm-hmm. And then like, all right, like, we need another one. And so now you're going to take six months or a year, barely, of life and take that and write that into the next album where you're, it's such a compressed, you haven't even really processed this change in your life probably of, you know, well, I have a book out now and I'm doing this because of it and that. And, and it sort of compresses that second album. And a lot of time, you know, it's like, we need that time to make it a thing that we will feel is something we want to pursue. Right. Totally. But then as you're saying that, I'm like, okay, but is that counter to what we, we were talking about earlier about like just jumping into something and finishing it? 
Because I know a lot of people do that where they have like, um, they procrastinate something because they're like, oh, I'm researching it or I'm taking my, and I don't want to do, I mean, it's just about balance, I guess. I was just going to, I was just going to say that. My dad, my dad always said certain things to me when I'd leave the house. One of them every day from the time I left school from kindergarten to uh, all the way through high school. Every day say, uh, you know, be kind, be considerate, and have a, have a good day. That's so nice. Like every day, every day. And that sort of became like a mantra for me in a, in a way. And sometimes I lived it out better than others, obviously. But the other thing he would say is, you know, it's really about finding a balance. Yeah. Just over, like, I just remember hearing that so many times. And darn it, if that is not something that just keeps coming up now. In but, everything. Yeah. Yeah. Like writing about money, like everything goes back to like, oh, well, it's a balance. Because somebody's always like, well, this is the answer to being good with money. This is why you're bad with money. You know, like you're saving too much. You're not enjoying your life. And then, you know, whatever. Uh, you're saving too little, obviously. You know, and it's like, it's just, it goes back. Everything goes back to balance. And finding whatever that is for you. I think it can be so personal, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, part of me hates balance because I like to live life in extremes. Like I'm very emotionally extreme. I'm very, um, like, in, like, ups and downs of my career. Like, you know how it is as a freelancer. One day you're like, I am amazing. I'm so good. And the next day you're like, I'm crap. Um, and so I sort of like thrive in that environment a little, and I, for better or worse. And so sometimes balance is hard. Well, I think sometimes balance can mean ebbing and flowing between extremes. Ah. That could be balance too. Yeah. I mean, what you just described happens to me within a day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, within an afternoon sometimes of being like, yeah, totally rocked this thing. And then wondering if anyone's ever going to hire me for anything ever again. Yeah. And it can happen like within an eight hour period. Oh yeah, for sure. It's hilarious. And I've learned to like, sort of, like you said, love that ebb and flow and understand it better. Mm -hmm. Have you come oh. to know yourself better as you go through those ebbs and flows? I don't know. I realized like during the down parts, how like critical I can be of myself. And so that's um, something I'm trying to work on is like the self-care of like just being as nice to yourself as you would to a friend. Like if a, something, if a friend didn't get work, you wouldn't be like, oh, well, you suck. And like, you're probably never going to work again. And like, that's why you didn't get, but then I say those things to myself. So that has been kind of a lesson. How do you feel about like rituals or creative habits like journaling? I'd love to talk a little bit more about about journaling practices or like yeah. different things like that. Yeah, rituals are I actually wrote an article recently about rituals and I interviewed this researcher who did this study that found people deal with failure and bounce back from it and are more than more successful having had a ritual. Really? Yeah, it's really fascinating. I'll send you the article. Yeah. Um, but it's like talks about like um, sports athletes. I was going to say sports players. You can tell I'm not into sports. Sports. <laughs> but athletes, so like they have rituals and like there is, there's utility in it. It's not just like a crazy superstitious thing. Um, but that's not the kind of rituals you were wanting to talk about, right? Well, I mean, I'm curious around your like creative habits and the things that you do. So you talked about journaling specifically. Yeah. And is that something you still generally do most mornings? Yeah, I try to. I try to free write every morning. I'm really bad about having a morning routine. And I think I'm starting to come to terms with, that's one thing going back to like understanding yourself is like you read all these uh, like blog posts and articles about like how things work for other people. Like here's Ernest Hemingway's morning routine. Um, and it's just like that doesn't work. This might not work for you. So you learn to kind of trust your instinct of like, look, I know that, I know what's healthy and not healthy and okay and not okay for me. And I try to journal every morning. I know that's a good thing. I try to, you know, go to a workout class, have breakfast, like do these like morning routine things. But sometimes they don't work out so well. And so I'm started give, like not beating myself up about that and giving my per myself permission to be like, you know what, this morning might just not be a morning routine morning. Do you have a morning routine? Like, are you pretty strict about your rituals? No, I would not say I'm strict about my morning routine rituals. There are certain habits and things that both Amy and I work on together. Mm -hmm. And you know the whole thing about you become the, the people you spend the most time with. Mm -hmm. uh, we are together 23 hours a day. Um, and so we have intentionally tried to like 
not tried to, but we have intentionally created these habits and these things that we do together to make sure we're influencing our, ourselves positively. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like going to the gym, we go in the afternoons or evenings. So it's a little different. We've talked about maybe going in the morning, but just not really a morning person. And I don't get good workouts in, you know, mm -hmm. it's just hard for me to really push myself and get a good workout in in the morning. And so we go later in the day, but we go five or six days a week and we are doing, you know, that kind of thing consistently and, and around writing, you know, I'm, I'm always try to just hit 250 words five days a week. That's my thing. I actually have a writing challenge that I do with a friend of mine in LA oh, nice. that we have a really cool Excel spreadsheet that I set up in, in Google Docs actually. And we just have to put in the number of words we wrote and then we get two vacation days each week. And so oh. we tally all of the words we write. Um, and that is a nice... What's a vacation day? Well, it's just like a don't have to write day. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there are two <laughs> free days. Two free days. So you've gamified it. I've gamified writing. That's... I love that. Yeah. That's cool. Because I'm not naturally driven to write. Like I don't... I wouldn't sit down and write to just like... Sometimes I do it as a way to capture ideas. Mm -hmm. But like I said before, the reason I started video is because I wasn't... Like I had to retake English in college, the first one. Mm. Like the, the very first 111 or whatever that was. Like I withdrew because I just was not completing the assignments and like I, it wasn't working for me. Huh. Yeah. So I just didn't, I never have felt this natural kind of like draw to it. Then why do you keep writing? Because that's a brilliant question. <laughs> and I do it less now. Um, I started a blog because a blog was just what you did. Yeah. Right. And writing was the way that you blogged. And so I did it there. But writing for me has become more of like a ritualistic practice or something to capture ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, this is something that Sean, uh, Sean West is his brand, but his name's Sean. Um, he talks about writing every day because writing becomes everything. So writing can become a video. Writing can become a podcast episode. Writing can become a book. It can become, you get the point. Yeah. It's an idea generator. It's an idea generator. And so that's what it, it is for me. It's okay. simply a way to capture ideas, outline things, get down like information in writing that becomes my YouTube videos, that becomes ideas for conversations, things to pick up. And so it just becomes like a core little bubble, even though it's not something I inherently love doing. But it is working for you. It works okay. Yeah. It's the kind of the best medium I've figured out at this point. That's interesting. Yeah, that is true. That's why, yeah, I feel like everybody can kind of benefit from writing, even if you're not a writer. Yeah, so I think everyone should write every day or at least the majority of days per week. It's sort of like doing your own therapy. Because you never know what comes out. And then, like, sometimes some stuff comes out where you're like, oh, okay. I didn't know I felt like that. So totally, totally. If you come up with videos based on those journaling prompts, then? A hundred percent. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So a couple of things. Well, I'm talking more during this episode than I do for most. Yeah, I like asking, I will listen to your journal. <laughs> it's hilarious. Uh, for me, writing is the same thing as meditation in that it is a process to achieve a flow state. Mm -hmm. And to clear out the 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 surface level stuff that allows us to tap into our deeper ideas and and purpose. Mm -hmm. That's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. And so, like for me, meditation, it's like you sit, and it's like ping, ping, ping. These little ideas are, are not even like good ideas. They're just the oh, I forgot about that thing. Oh, what am I going to eat for lunch? Oh, what's happening? And the longer you sit, the the deeper you kind of go into that place those surface level things start to quiet mm -hmm. and then and then it then the real stuff starts to sort of come up yeah and for me it's the same thing with writing it's like it's uncomfortable to sit there with the blank page always and the first things i write are trash but the longer i go and the more i allow myself to focus in that moment and just be there eventually the words start to flow and mm -hmm. I don't really have to think. And they just sort of come out. Yeah. But there's a lot of resistance and a lot of 
stuff that you have to get through. And that's what I think the practice of writing or the practice of meditating does. Interesting. So then the reason that writing is difficult for you, I mean, there's probably, you know, you don't, maybe you don't enjoy the medium, but it sounds like maybe the reason like you have the spreadsheet is that it's uncomfortable the same way that meditation would be uncomfortable to anybody. Yeah. Okay. So it's not even necessarily about the writing itself. It's like just the mental work of getting out all the minutiae and then getting to the tough stuff. I think that's a big part of it. Okay. Definitely. That's the trouble I have with meditating. Um, And so I'm glad you said that because that is what I do with my writing. I think writing is a form, like when I write in a journal, is a free write, is a form of meditation for me. Because I'll be like, "Ah, this is what I had for breakfast. I'm upset about this. I'm cold. And then like once all that stuff is out, then I'm like starting to talk about like all these crazy ideas that sometimes turn into articles, you know? Yeah. Because meditating is difficult, very difficult for most, I think for most people, but I, I have a really hard time with it. But Writing feels meditative, so maybe that's okay for me. A hundred percent that's okay for you. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not that you need my permission, no. but but like, no, absolutely. I think meditation, some people walk, some people like, yeah, if you don't like sitting and doing doing nothing, and I'm doing air quotes for those listening, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's okay to find it. Doing the dishes is meditation. Yeah. Like hand, just the process of taking a dirty thing and making it clean and setting it in the rack. And like we mowing the lawn for me was meditation. I hated it in the beginning when we first got our house. Mm -hmm. But then over the years, I realized, no, this is like a practice. It's just going to grow back. Mm -hmm. It's just going to grow back. So this is just how I take care of, we had a small yard, but this is how I take care of our home. This is a process that I'm just going to do and I'm going to just be. And it's just like a meditative thing with unfortunately a, you know, lawnmower in the background. Yeah. But but still, I think we can apply these things to a lot of areas of our life. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, it's going to grow back. I think that's interesting that you said that because I think a lot of times when we do those things and even with meditating, we're so focused on like, okay. I, this is a task. It has a beginning and it has an end. But like the whole point of it is to live in the middle, right? Is to like live in the process, I guess. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I like the way you put that. With with anything like this, it's the dishes will get dirty again. Right. The laundry will get dirty again. So many things in our lives are just a practice, even though we don't feel like they are. Mm-hmm. Right. Like Marie Kondo. Even you know, I I think. I don't know how many guys like really took away a lot of stuff around the laundry aspect of Marie Kondo, but that was the biggest impact for me. Mm-hmm. Marrying all of my shirts when they used to just kind of be folded and like thrown into a drawer, but having them stacked became a practice. Getting rid of a lot of my clothes and then like only having what fit and then seeing how it nicely went in became this practice of doing my laundry, which I hated. Yeah. But now it's like a, well... It's just going to get dirty again. And I'm going to have to do this again. So I might as well enjoy it or somehow make enough money to pay someone else to do it. But I don't <laughs> think that's the case, you know, in the near term. But so. it kind of goes back to the ritual thing, right? Yeah. Like having that thing. It's so strange because I feel like other cultures, this comes like, it's like, duh. It's like comes second nature, but we are in a culture that it's like, that's so difficult for us. And like, we're having these epiphanies about just living in the moment and being intentional about, you know, when you do your, you know, you fold your shirts, it probably makes you appreciate those shirts more. And like, oh, I don't want this one. Or like, I'm glad that I have this one. And you, I don't know, you are connected a bit more with like things that you own. Uh, I don't know. It's interesting. And the only way to do that is to have few enough things, few enough clothing items, few enough dishes, few enough, a small enough yard mm-hmm. that you have the space to actually slow down and appreciate that process. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just something that's getting in the way of you doing other things. It's overwhelming. Right. Totally. Yeah. I always, I feel like, you know, since I was a kid, I've like kind of been minimalist, but I never like knew that that was a word for it until recently, I guess. I mean, I, you hear about it, but like that's the soul of minimalism, right? Like that is sort of the ethos of minimalism. And when even when I was little, I was like, just don't 
like ha- seeing so many things and seeing so much clutter, like it just clutters your mind. And like, I already feel like I have a cluttered mind. And isn't there some quote, like, because I always felt like self-conscious because they always say like these geniuses have a completely messy desk and I cannot do a messy desk. So I'm like, I must not be a genius. <laughs> but then there was, I think it was like a flow bear quote or something where he's like, I don't see, I'm not good at remembering like word for word what people say, but the gist of what he said was like, keep your area nice and tidy so that you're to give you basically give the craziness in your head, the chaos in your head, like room to space to breathe, I guess. Yeah. I'm in that camp. Me too. For sure. I operate better when things are. Yeah. So again, it comes back to the balance thing, right? I think there's no, in, in the nature of advice, like mm-hmm. you could tell the same advice that works for one person to another and it'd just be terrible advice, right? Mm-hmm. Like I tend to be less structured. And so if you came to me and someone was, and said, just, no, just like, let go. Like, you know, don't worry so much about creating more structure and rigidity in your life. The rigidity and structure that helps me succeed and do the things that I know are really important to me. That'd be terrible advice. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so you are more structured? No, I'm like, I'm the less structured person by default. Oh, you by need default. more structure. Yeah, and I thrive in created structure. Mm-hmm. Me too. But I like structure. and sometimes, But sometimes, you going back to the balance, I feel like I take it to the extreme where I don't give myself room to like be whimsical or intuitive about things. I'm just like, what does this look like? I need to know. And I need a formula for this. Spread. I love spreadsheets. Put everything into a spreadsheet. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think sometimes is, I don't know. I, I And that's why I do a lot of journaling because that's chaotic and it's all over the place. I have something called an evil journal where it's just like my worst, most negative, contrarian, cynical thoughts ever. Huh. And it's hilarious. Like I go back and read, I'm like, oh, this is really funny. I should turn this into something. Because when you don't filter yourself, yeah, it's interesting to see what comes out on the page. But that's a good space for me to be whimsical, I guess. So you created, you gave it a, like a specific space. Yeah, a what, tangible space. How did you, where did you get that idea? Like, how did that come to you to, to give it like um, its own notebook, basically? Yeah, and it's red. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like this angry notebook. But like, uh, not Anne Lamott, who's the artist date? author julia cameron have you read the artist the artist i've read several chunks of it the artist way the artist way yeah Yeah. so she talks about um doing your morning pages and it's sort of the same idea of just like getting all the junk that's in your head out on paper so that you can think uh more clearly yeah so it's sort of the same thing i think i love that yeah what have you (laughs) what has been your experience you said you're kind of like looking back at that thing or you know because in the moment everything feels so intense yeah, one thing I wrote in there was just like, <laughs> what did I say? Like, so one of my friends got a good book review, and I should be happy for her, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but I was, you know, I am. But like, there's that evil part of you that's just like, I can't be happy for you. And sometimes I think you need to acknowledge that, right? Because like, we quiet that voice too often. We're like, no, that's that's bad. That's negative. Um, but there's something to that. Like, why did I feel that way, you know? Um, and I think it's worth exploring. And I think that a lot about our inner critic. Like, you, you, you've heard that term. Like, everybody's talking, your inner critic, the voice in your head that's like, you're not a good writer. You'll never be a good writer. Why bother that voice? And I interviewed, um, do you know Kristen Neff? She did, I think she did a TED Talk, but she's a researcher on, like, self-compassion And she told me for an article one time that, like, you need to make friends with your inner critic because it's there to protect you. And that changed everything. And that's when I stopped being so critical of myself because your inner critic is just a way to protect you from failure. I mean, it's a human instinct thing. So, you know, you just need to tell your inner critic, I don't need protection with this. I'm okay with failing. I'm fine with it. And then it goes away. But if you, I think, think of it as the enemy and just like, oh, just shut up, quiet, quiet. Like, that never helps anything, I think, to like sweep things under the rug like that. Yeah. Although, I don't know. What do I know? Like, maybe it is. Like, maybe you do just need to tell that thing to shut up. Well, from the things that I've heard and the things that have worked more for me in, in terms of that sort of thing and 
another recent video I saw about anxiety mm -hmm. is that giving it a big old hug is much more effective than telling it to go to the corner because because it's like like embracing it because like you said it's a self-defense mechanism kind of thing yeah and that that embracing it and being like okay I see you mm -hmm. I see that you're there thanks for joining me today you know like all right that approach is much more effective to actually like embrace and quiet the voice than actually trying to physically or mentally no like not listening to you you're not real <laughs> i don't you know cuz it's all a part of us exactly yeah so when you i think make that voice your enemy aren't you sort of making yourself the enemy part of yourself damn <laughs> dang dang it's right just taking that and like yeah just throw your arm around it and you're like all right it's okay buddy it's okay buddy you'll be okay you'll be fine I get a lot of, um, I do a writing workshop called Come Write With Us, and I get a lot of writers who ask, like, how do I get over that fear of vulnerability? They're like, how do I, that inner critic who's, you know, I'm going to put something up and it's going to be so bad and, like, everyone's going to see it. And I'm like, for a long time, I'm like, well, this is how you do it. Here's how I got it. And then I realize, like, oh, no, I, like, still feel like that all the time. Yeah. You're just going to feel like that, I think. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. I think a lot of, um, like, there's so much self-improvement advice that's, like, here's how to get over this thing. But I think some of the things you just, you don't get over. Like, it just is always there and that's okay. And just learning to kind of cope with it, right? Yeah, learning to be with it. Like, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think it's about time in the episode where we get to do a question from the question bowl. Oh, man. And some of these were left by us early on, but they are from previous guests. So each guest answers one and leaves one. So you're going to get to leave one too. Okay, I'll... Uh, there it just is. for fairness, so I don't pick like the top one. Yeah. Question comes from Don Ball, previous guest yes. on the Break the Twitch podcast. When you think about what drives you in your endeavors, how much are you motivated by running from something versus running towards something? That is a good question, Don. I don't know. I think the things that when you're running from something don't last very long. So then it's hard to go back and think about what those endeavors might be. You know what I'm saying? Uh, usually money has been one for me where it's like I'm running from that feeling of being broke again, you know, because I didn't grow up with a lot of money. And so for a long time, that's what was the impetus of a lot of my jobs, a lot of my endeavors, pursuits was like, Money, got to get the money because not even because like, oh, I want more cool things, you know, or like I want a nicer place or I want to travel more because I want to not feel broke. And so that's always a struggle. And that's something that I've had to kind of reconcile is like doing what I really want to do versus the thing that makes a lot of money, which I don't think those two things have to be mutually exclusive ever, but sometimes they are, right? Well, Kristen, where can people find you online as I expect they will want to? Um, well, I have actually, I have a newsletter that I launched a few months ago called Sidebar that is just like, um, usually kind of based on stuff that I've written about, but just like sidebars of stuff I've written about. So it'd be like a tangent basically, but it's a new question. Every month I ask like a random question about something. Um, one of the first ones was how can we reframe rejection? So stuff like that. Usually along the topics of like human behavior, pop psychology. And you can find that at kristenwong.com slash newsletter. Uh, we'll put a link in the description of the blog post and in the show notes and everything. And uh, just so you have quick access to it. So thank you. Thank thank you. I really appreciate you coming on and and uh, really enjoyed your your wisdom. Thank you. This was a fun conversation. So thanks for having me on.